Take your Bibles, please, and turn to Matthew chapter 5. We are continuing in our series, The Beatitudes, The Kingdom is Ours. And we are embarking on our next directive here, the next um, way of living that is connected to, connected to blessing, and that is purity of heart. And so we've entitled the message, Blessed Are the Pure in Heart, right from the text. Let's look at verse number eight. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. I prepared this message this week with a, with a sense of awe that I hope you will feel as I have felt this week in these powerful, amazing words of Jesus Christ. God speaks to us today from His Word. This is His Word. Blessed are the poor in spirit. And when we do that, we shall see God. We will see Him face to face. We will, we will stand before Him. We will behold the eternal living God whom the angels veil their face from. God speaks to us and speaks to you today about being pure in heart. A heart that thinks what is right. A love that is good and it loves what is good and it desires what is best. When I read this sixth beatitude this week, my, my first reaction was to say, this looks impossible. It would be very surprised, I would be surprised, this morning if anyone here this morning would say, yep, this is me. Yep, I'm pure in heart. This is, I've got this one down. See, when Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit, those who know that they don't really have much to offer before God apart from Jesus Christ, it's easy to say, yeah, yeah, that's me. I'm, I'm poor in spirit. And then when Jesus says, blessed are those that, that mourn, I think when we begin to acknowledge our sins and the struggle that we have, it again is one of those things where we can say, yeah, I can, I, I can say, yeah, that's me. I'm, I'm poor before the Lord. I can mourn over the, over the sin that's been in my life this week, whether in deed or thought. But when Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart, I don't find myself saying, yep, yep, that's me. This is, this is what it's describing. Describing Ryan Johnson. And I don't expect you either. Then Jesus ties being blessed by being pure in heart to the second thing that seems equally impossible, for they shall see God. See, in the Old Testament, Moses wanted to see the glory of God. He wanted to see God. And, and he had to kind of hide in the, in the cleft of the rock. He had, to, he had to hide there God's presence when it was going to pass by. Moses was basically only able to see kind of the afterglow of God's glory. Verse number 20 of Exodus 33, and he said, Thou canst not see my face. For there shall no man see me and live. Yet here Jesus says, blessed is the individual 
that is pure in heart because they're going to see him. They're going to, they're going to see God. The apparent impossibility of these two things, seeing God and a purity of heart, shows us how great of a Savior we have in Jesus Christ. Because Christ is not mocking you with these. He's not just, he's not just teasing you with something that is not readily available in Him. He comes as our great Redeemer, the Rescuer, the Savior, holding this wonderful promise in His hands. It's the promise that in Christ, a sinner with all of the baggage that sinful habits have left in your thoughts, your feelings, and your desires, you can become pure in heart in Christ. His promise of in Christ, a sinner, someone who has been forgiven, someone who has been washed and cleansed and renewed should see God. And instead of shrinking at the sight of God, you can stand boldly in that presence in the throne of God, embraced with everlasting love. That is what Christ is able to do for you. It's what He's able to do for sinners. It's what Christ is able to do. He can purify your heart. He can shine in your heart. Look at what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 4. For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, hath shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. When I read this beatitude, as I said earlier, my, my first thought was, this is impossible. And as I began to ponder a little bit longer and read more about it, I began to just kind of begin to pray. And I said, whatever the, the blessing that is connected to this, that if I will understand what Jesus Christ is trying to teach us here, He's not mocking us. He's not trying to tell you to do something that is completely impossible. That if I can get a hold of all that Jesus Christ is promising me here, then I would indeed be greatly blessed. So what is he saying? We will take the pattern that we normally do by spending two weekends. Today, we're going to focus on grasping what Christ says. And then next week, as we are going to try to pursue that calling, how do we, how do we cultivate this pure heart in our life? Because we desire that and we truly do want to see God. Now, let me say real quick, what purity of heart is not. Normally, I don't spend a lot of time on something that is not, but, but I think this is, this is important. Purity of heart does not mean that you never have a bad thought. Purity of heart does not mean that you never, that you never sin. The Apostle, Paul, or Apostle John says to believers in 1 John 1.8, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So this purity of heart doesn't mean that you never fail. It doesn't mean that you never have the improper thought. Christians in this life are always, hear me, saints that are sinning and in the process of recovery. That's what, that's what Christians are. You're not a sinner any longer. You are a saint that happens to sin and is in the progress 
of recovery in the progress of what we would call sanctification. Danielle and I, on the way down to church this morning, we were kind of talking about what the big theological term sanctification means. So we stand right before God in Christ, positionally. But the practical side of it, the in recovery, so to speak, the way that I worded it here. So if purity of heart means that you never had a bad thought, then this promise would be beyond the range of any Christian experience. Listen to what A.W. Pink said in his book on the Beatitudes in the Lord's Prayer. Purity of heart is not sinlessness of life. So what is purity of heart then? What, what, is, what is Jesus laying out for us here this morning? Well, the Bible speaks about purity, or we can use another word here, holiness, in different ways. And it's very important that we understand the different ways in which purity and holiness in the Christian life are talked about. We need to be able to distinguish between them. First off, there is the purity or holiness that belongs to God only. So in in the presence of God, the holy angels who have never sinned, when they had the opportunity to, 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 to follow Lucifer, which one-third of them did, they all sinned, and they're all now the fallen angels, what we would call now you know, the, the demons and so forth. But the, the, the angels that are still in heaven, they have never sinned, yet they cover their faces, and they cry out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts in Isaiah 6. So it's not enough in the immediate presence of the Almighty for the angels simply to say that God is holy. No, they say it three times. The angels are holy, but God is incomparable in His purity. Incomparable in His holiness. His holiness is the source of theirs. So like the angels, we reflect the holiness of God, just like the moon reflects the light of the sun. And we will never stop reflecting that. And so when it comes to holiness, it's always God's holiness. Christ is God, right? 100% God, 100% man. Christ's holiness in us. But there's this purity that that only belongs to God. But let me say, there's also a purity of holiness that will be ours in heaven. So not only when you're talking about purity and holiness, is it something that only refers to God, but there's also a time when it's referring to only in heaven. 1 John 3, 2, Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But when we know that we shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. So in the presence of Jesus, you will have the purity that is like pure gold. It's a holiness that is literally unmixed. There's going to be no trace of sin in you or me or even around us. And isn't that day going to be awesome? Hallelujah. But that day's still coming. We still live here. So we are saints that sin and that are still in the recovery, the sanctification process. So then that leads us to our third one here. There is a purity or holiness that God calls us to pursue now. 
Hence our text. Blessed are the pure in heart. Thomas Watson describes that this purity in a this is purity in a gospel sense. The Christian's purity in this life is like gold mixed with dross. There is a real purity in the heart of a believer, but it's mixed. It is real gold, but it's mixed with dross. Where there is a longing for purity, where there is a loathing of impurity, that's a pure heart. Where you're longing for it. Where you're wanting it. Where you're, where, where, where you're I don't want that. I don't want that sin. You know, the kind of, the, 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 where Paul is like, man, the things I want to do, I don't do. The things I don't want to do, I do. Paul, I mean, we're talking about the Apostle Paul, who was the human author through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of most of our New Testament. And so he even has this, he has this struggle in our life. And so the sheer desire of wanting this pure heart, oh, it's going to be powerful. We're going to get there in a few moments. So if purity of heart does not mean sinlessness in life, then what does it mean? Well, it means two things. A heart that is undivided and a heart that is clean. So let's start with the blessing of an undivided heart. Our text is saying here, blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed is the, is the man or the woman whose, whose heart is it's undivided. And our Lord, he, he, he returns to this concept later in His sermon. So starting at the verse 1 of chapter 5, or the beginning of chapter 5, once he's had everyone sit down, he starts preaching, and he starts with these Beatitudes. Well, then he continues through chapter 5, and chapter 6, and in chapter number 7. But he, he, he alludes back to this. Look at verse number 22. It's up on the screen there. The light of the body is the eye. If therefore thine eye be single, thy whole body shall be full of light. And so there's this concept of like darkness and light, this purity and unpurity, but it's with a single-mindedness. It has the idea of going after one thing. The Danish philosopher Soren Kierkegaard is often quoted on this. He wrote a book on purity that's called Purity of Heart is to Will One Thing. Awesome book. The Purity of Heart is to will one thing. It's very helpful, this book, and it tells us that the opposite of a pure heart is a divided heart. Do you remember Elijah standing on the Mount Carmel? And he's saying, how long are you going to be halt? How long are you going to be kind of tripping over your indecisiveness? You're either going to serve God or not. It's like he's saying, basically, you can't be serving sin and loving sin and also wanting to serve and love God at the same time. He's like, how long are you going to be you know, tripping up with your lack of decision here? Purity is a heart that is single-focused with God? How long are you going to continue toying with the same sins, my friends? How long? 
Oh, we're not going to maybe give ourselves completely over to it, but we're just going to toy with it a little bit. Never, never giving yourself to Christ wholly. I'm just going to, I'm going to forsake this. I'm going to just, just going to dabble with this. How long are you going to go on trying to embrace Christ and the world and its way of thinking at the same time? James puts it this way, draw nigh to God and He will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. John Bunyan in his book, Pilgrim's Progress, I don't know if you've read that, but it has a character in it. I was thinking of it this week and I couldn't, I couldn't quite think of his name and so then I had to I was trying to go through the book and I was like, yeah, I can't find that. So finally I was like, I'm going to ask my daughter because sure, surely she's read Pilgrim's Progress. And, you know, and so we kind of came finally to the conclusion and I finally found it. Mr. Facing Both Ways is one of the characters. We understand that, don't we? Mr. Facing Both Ways. Have you ever tried to please both? You ever try to please God and that worldly friend? Have you ever tried to strive for holiness? I believe that there is a striving in our lives for that. I pray that there is, but I believe that there is too. But then there's also this like, man, what is that like? There's just kind of this facing both ways. Paul gives us a commentary on the purity of heart in Philippians 3. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended. Here's what he's saying. I'm not perfect. That's what Paul's saying there. I, I, I've, not, I've not attained, but this one thing I do, undivided, forgetting those things which are behind, He's like, I've not gotten to where I'm fully supposed to be, but I'm going to, with this one thing, I'm going to try to forget those things which are behind, and I'm going to reach forth to those things which are before. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Philippians 3 is an exposition on purity of heart. Purity of heart is not perfection. Purity of heart is to will one thing. And so when Jesus comes to us and He's not dangling something that's impossible before you, He's saying, blessed are the pure in heart. He's saying, blessed is the person whose heart is undivided. That's what He's saying. Oh, I so struggle with this, Ryan. Go back to the first one. And you start the momentum because you're supposed to have an undivided heart. And so if we are facing both ways, then we need to come back before the Lord and we need to say, Lord, I can't do this on my own. I am repenting of my sin. I am hungering and thirsting for Your will. I'm going to submit to that. And I want Your righteous life within me. And yield the fruit of merciful and being able to forgive and give me a pure heart. There's a great prayer for purity in the book of Psalms. Teach me thy way, O Lord. I will walk in thy path. 
Unite my heart to fear thy name. It's a prayer that's, Lord, here is my heart. My heart and my mind. You can study Scripture. Those two things are often connected. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. So the two are connected in Scripture. But, so our hearts and our minds, they're, they're all over the place. And so the prayer with this portion of what Christ has laid out on us is I'm asking you, Lord, to make it one. God, would you, would you unite, unite my thinking on this? Would you unite my heart to make me a person who pursues one thing? That, my friend, is the blessing of purity. But what about the blessing of a clean heart? This is where we're going to spend the rest of our time. In Bible terms, when you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, faith forms a bonding of of a living union between Christ and you. So you are in Christ, and Christ is in you. And with that union comes some amazing gifts. Here's the first gift, justification. This is your legal standing. It means in Christ, God drops all charges against you. Your union in Christ, you've been, you've been justified, right? That is your, your legal standing. So in Christ, God is going to drop all of the charges against you. You remember when you go to Colossians 2, and it talks about the ordinances that were, that were being stacked against you, being written against you, and Christ blots all of them out with his blood? Well, justification, okay? The reason a Christian can enter into heaven is not that you're without sin, <laughs> not at all because none of us ever will be. The reason that a Christian enters heaven is that God does not charge their sins against them. And so the question that we would ask is, well, why? Why does God not charge my sins against me? Why does he not charge your sins against you? Because God has charged those sins to the account of Jesus Christ. And so he's just. God is the the, the just one. Jesus Christ bears your sin on the cross. He's treated like a sinner. Let me put it this way. He's treated like you. You're the guilty one. He's not. But God, in his love and in his grace and his justice and his compassion and his mercy, he's going to treat Jesus like he sinned so that we can be given his righteous record. He's the sin bearer. Isaiah 53, 6 says, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him, speaking of Jesus, the iniquity of us all. So in Christ, your debts have been paid in full so that they will not and cannot be charged to you on any other day, let alone the last day, right? The day of judgment. That is the spectacular truth of justification. Paul put it this way. Therefore, being justified by faith in Romans 1, 5.1, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I'm not going to be judged by God. Oh, God's going to judge. You better believe he will. But if you're in Christ, it's not in you. Christ took it all. What a gift. Gift. Christians enter heaven on the basis of mercy, but also on the basis of justice. A just God cannot demand payment for sins 
that have already been atoned for. A just God will not call in a debt that has already been paid. 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Why does John bring in the word just? He's faithful and just because he's thinking about atonement. He's thinking about what Christ has done for us. The, the hymn writer, Augustus Toplady, what a last name that is, right? Augustus Toplady wrote, from whence this fear and unbelief. I almost asked Mike to have us sing that today, but it's very, very old school. Listen to what it says. Payment God cannot twice demand. First from my wounded Savior's hand, and then again from mine. So justification, it's a marvelous gift. This, this union that you have in Christ brings about a legal gift of you will not face the penalty for your sin. So that means you can go into the presence of God. You can see Him, so to speak, and you can do so boldly. You don't have to cower. You don't have to be, you don't have to be afraid. You can enter into heaven, as the author of Hebrews says, and you can do it boldly in Christ. My salvation rests on the character of God, who is just and it is sealed by the blood of Christ, my Savior. So you are justified. That's your legal standing. Let me give you another gift. Forgiveness. Relational standing. So in Christ, God reconciles you to himself in Christ. So when God justifies, he also forgives and reconciles us. Look at 2 Corinthians 5.18. And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given us also the ministry of reconciliation. He never does one without the other. This is this spectacular blessing. I want you to think about it. You were an enemy of God. Now he makes you his friend. A couple lines of one of my favorite songs of Jesus, thank you. And as I was, I believe it was Wednesday, as I was typing this particular part about one of my favorite songs, I almost texted Mike and I was like, hey, Mike, can we sing Jesus, thank you? And then I thought, nah, let's, let's see what happens. And so, obviously we didn't sing that this morning at 11, but... We're on our way, Danielle, I said, so what, what songs are we singing today? And she's like, Jesus, thank you. But it's at the 130 service, which is perfect because we are invited to his table. You were once an enemy, but now you're invited to his table. Listen to these words. Your blood has washed away my sins. We're going to sing this if you come at 130. Jesus, thank you. The Father's wrath completely satisfied. Jesus, thank you. Once your enemy, now seated at your table, Jesus, thank you. We looked at this marvelous subject of forgiveness in our last beatitude, blessed are the merciful. And we saw that God begins to forgive at the very moment of repentance, the beginning of it. Why? 
because forgiveness is relational. It is both given and received. And so the moment you begin, God extends it to you. Love, love can be one-sided. You can love a person who does not love you back. When Jesus tells you to love your enemies, it is a one-sided thing. Your enemies certainly do not love you. So love is kind of, it's one directional. But forgiveness, it's always relational. Two parties are involved. One forgives and the other is forgiven. And then that relationship is restored. This is the grace that is yours in Christ Jesus. He forgives you of your sins. He puts them out of his mind. He puts them out of his sight to all Christians, to anybody that's ever trusted Jesus Christ as their Savior. Here's what he says to you in Hebrews 10, 17. And their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. The prophet uh, Micah, he puts it this way. He will turn again. He will have compassion upon us. He will subdue our iniquities and now will cast all their sins into the depths of the sea. Another place they said is separated from you as far as the east is from the west. You, my friend, are forgiven. As one old preacher once said, God casts our sins into the depths of the sea and he puts up a sign that says, no fishing here. He doesn't ever bring it up. You've been forgiven. But let me give you a third gift. Cleansing. That's the personal side of it. In Christ, God washes your heart and your life. Right now, my car needs to be washed. And maybe sometime this week or next weekend or whatever, I'll send it through the drive-thru. It tends to do that, right? It gets dirty from the roads and whatnot. doesn't matter how expensive your car is, it still needs to be washed. Right? You can buy some new clothes. And those new clothes, they, they need to be washed. Oh, they might be iron-free, but they are not wash-free. Now, some of our kids try to test that by saying, hey, I'm going to go a couple weeks. No, your clothes need to be washed. Our bodies, right? I get up and you take a shower every single morning. I'm not wallowing in mud and just muck and mire all day, but there's still something that says, hey, buddy, you need to get into that shower. Justification happens once. It's a, it's a legal standing before God. Forgiveness or reconciliation with God. It happens once. It's not something that needs to be repeated over and over again. Well, what happens when I sin? Well, do, do you all of a sudden become an enemy of God every single time you sin? No. It's a one-time thing. You are justified. You are legally standing before God, right before Him. You have been forgiven. That's the relational side. Enemies have become friends. You're seated at the table with God. But cleansing is different. I need that on a continual basis. However much I progress in the Christian life, I'm never going to get beyond the need of it. And so I want to remind you of this kind of well-known verse. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and He's just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. In that one verse, in Christ, God justifies. In that one verse, 
In Christ, God forgives. And in that one verse, in Christ, God cleanses. I want you to grasp this morning, stick with me for another 10 minutes or so, the power of this cleansing that we have from Christ. He's faithful to cleanse. You can trust Him to cleanse. He has the ability to purify your heart. He has the ability to purify your life. See, faith in Christ is in confidence in His ability to justify, to forgive, as well as to cleanse through the power of His shed blood. That is what faith is. Christ is able to cancel all of the charges that would otherwise condemn us to an eternal hell. He's able as the God-man to reconcile us to the Father, but why do we think somehow that Jesus Christ, He can cause us to be right standing before God and to be, just, or to be reconciled with God, but He can't clean up your life? Ah, you don't know about my baggage, Ryan. You don't, know, you don't know about where I came from. You don't know how I was raised. You don't know about all the sin that I was involved in before I came to Christ. Why is it do we think that He also doesn't have the power to cleanse you? To cleanse your mind. To cleanse your life. I've met many people over the years who would say that they are Christians. That they believe in the Christ who forgives. But they struggle in believing in a Christ who is able to wash them clean. They say things like, I've got too much baggage. I've got too many scars from my past. This is just who I am. Not in Christ. You've been cleansed. See, 1 John 1.9, it all has happened. You've been justified, you've been forgiven, and you've been cleansed. So here's my challenge to you. I want you to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. You might say, oh, 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 Ryan, I I do. And I want to say, do you really? Do you really believe in Him? Do you believe that He can radically change your life? Do you you believe that He can take the, the baggage out? Or is it just enough to declare you right before God, reconcile you before a God who's angry with the wicked every single day, and now seat you at His table, and you become friends, but He can't clean this up? He can't clean this up? Let me say this, Christ offers more than forgiveness. Offers more than forgiveness. Look at Matthew one twenty one up on the screen. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Oh, he's definitely going to save you from the penalty of your sins. Absolutely but He also has come to save you from your sins. He's come to to deal with your habits. He's come to deal with your compulsions. He's come to deal with with the ingrained patterns of thoughts and behavior. Christ came not only to justify you. Christ came not only to reconcile you. Christ also came to sanctify you. In Him, He came not only to forgive your sins, but to make you holy. Because without holiness, no one will see the Lord. The Bible says that God saves us 
and he washes us. Look at Titus 3. But after that, the kindness and love of God, our Savior toward man, appeared. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. By the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Ghost. Christ is able to wash your mind. He's able to regenerate your heart. He's able to change you. Genesis to Revelation. When God shows up, when Christ shows up, change happens. So why can't he change you? Why? Why can he save us? Why can he make us with a right standing before God? But then he doesn't change the heart, the mind. When Christ washes your heart, here's what you will begin to experience over time. You'll begin to hate what you used to love. You're going to begin to love the righteous things, maybe what you used to hate. Your prayer life, your, your interest in the reading of the Bible is going to grow. Maybe it wasn't there, but, but, but now it is. You come to worship, but it's all a show, but now it's real for you. If you're struggling with, can God change this? I want you to write this down in your mind, or if you want to write it down on a piece of paper. My heart could be made clean. I believe that if I was in Christ and he was in me, he could make me clean. That's going to stay up there for a while. My heart could be made clean. I believe that if I was in Christ and he was in me, he could make me clean. So my next question is this. Have you been justified? Have you trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior? Have you been declared legally right with God? And if your answer to that is yes, then you also will be able to say, I have been forgiven. Relationally, I don't mean to be irreverent, I'm good with God. I've been restored. Once was an enemy. I trusted Christ as my Savior for me. It was 1992, August of 1992. I was an enemy. Now we're friends. Now we're family. I'm a child of the God. I'm a child of the King, as, we, as Vince played last week. If, that, if you say that, that's you, then you're also cleansed. Believe it and let it work. Believe it and let it work. Begin to, begin to say, oh Lord, my, my mind is so, so double-minded in all of this. And you know what you'll find? That you see God. You'll find that it's, I, I can't explain it other than God just gives you amazing 
glimpses of who he is. Blessed are the undivided, maybe the way we would understand it, the undivided heart. Once you pray something like this, Lord Jesus, I've come to believe that if I was in you and you were in me, you could wash this heart. You could make me clean. Now come to this twisted mind, this divided heart, and do your redeeming work in me. Wash me, cleanse me, purify my heart through Jesus Christ, my Lord and Savior. I never said you weren't saved if you weren't cleansed. You just need to allow it to work because you have actually been cleansed in Christ. Let the practical side of your life catch up to where you are positionally sanctified before God. Saints who sin, who are constantly being renewed. So let's be renewed today. Let's go after the affection, the new renewed affections for the things of God. Blessing is connected to that. Every head bowed, every eye closed.